Hi, this is Kate. I'm the host of Healthy Happy Yoga Podcast, and now I'm the host of Mindfully Parenting Atypical Kids Podcast, too. This is new, and I would love to have you join us there, review, subscribe, and share it with anyone you think might be interested. Welcome to Healthy Happy Yoga. I'm your host, Kate Lynch. If you breathe, you belong here. On this podcast, I'll be exploring the intersection of yoga and meditation with everyday life, offering tools to you that have helped me get through the day. If it's helpful, please subscribe. Please keep listening, please share with your friends, and please connect with me. Thank you so much for listening. I'm truly grateful. For this podcast, I'm speaking directly to other parents like me, whose children are atypical, differently wired, and our expectation of what parenting was going to be like is quite different from our day-to-day reality. And not only our day-to-day reality, but Many of us, we've, we've had to set aside the fantasy of what our children's future would look like. And this puts us in a very vulnerable place of unknown. And the unknown about our children's future can be scary. Of course, parents of neurotypical kids also have this fear and no one really knows how things are going to turn out, what the outcome will be for their children, of course. And when you're parenting a child whose neurology on whatever level doesn't quite fit with the cultural expectations. These questions get big. They loom. And even shame can come in because our culture really stigmatizes differences. We may never have had to deal with feelings of othering before having this child. So the feelings of shame and stigma can erode our self-compassion. And yet turning compassion on ourselves is really the antidote to shame. 
feeling mirrored in those around us and understood can be a very healing feeling in and of itself. But if parents are coming together, like-minded parents who understand each other and are there to support each other, really magical unfolding can occur. So this is my intention to create that welcoming space and at the same time offer mindfulness and other tools which have really helped me get through the day as I parent my son. And helped me to gain perspective develop patience and really come from a more curious rather than controlling place so I'd love to read a quote for you from Andrew Solomon, who wrote Far From the Tree. He says, all parenting turns on a crucial question. To what extent parents should accept their children for who they are? And to what extent they should help them become their best selves? So, as parents of atypical kids, we do have real fears about their future, and it's important to acknowledge to name that. I also find it helpful to do something about my fears, because they don't seem to just go away on their own by ignoring them or stuffing them down. So here's a practice of visualizing and then modeling the future you wish for your atypical child. The future is really unknown. If somebody guarantees you a certain future for your child, some practitioner, um, I would beware of that. The past is also behind us. So what we have is this moment, the present. And in the present, there's definitely something we can do about our child's future. We can set an example by caring for ourselves and for others. We can take responsibility for our own happiness and our own relationships. We can actually care for ourselves first. I don't always do this. I could take better care of myself. Absolutely. I do argue with my husband right in front of my son and I'm working on catching myself in the act. I'm also working hard on forgiving myself and others for not being perfect. There's really no such thing as a perfect parent. If anybody pretends that they're a perfect parent, you know there's some underbelly, right? Something lurking under the surface that they're not willing to admit. I'm working on many things. And as I do this, I'm narrating my process with, 
with my son as much as I can when it's appropriate. He just turned nine. So trying to do it as he evolves at the level of his understanding so that he can learn from my mistakes. So when we're feeling like when we feel like we're making a valuable contribution, our stress response can actually shift. We're familiar with fight, flight, freeze, but it can also look like panic, yell, compete, abandon, give up, or numb out. There's another stress response that we don't hear about as often, and that's attend and befriend. Like when something's hard, we reach out. We might have this feeling that we're in this together. We've got this. Having perspective can make the trivialities of parenting feel more meaningful. So, for instance, it might feel mundane every morning to do things especially things that take a little longer, like teaching my son to tie his shoelaces when Velcro's really available. So I choose my battles. I don't go overboard. But I might pick one thing. So I'd invite you to first get a piece of paper. You can pause the podcast, get a piece of paper, and a writing instrument, have it in front of you, and then find a place to sit where you're comfortable, and I'll talk you through a visualization. So again, you can pause the podcast, you can get yourself ready, take time to come from a place of strength rather than fear. And don't limit your child by what you see now. Dream. Imagine big. We'll start with a little centering and grounding in the present moment. So I invite you to look around the space you're in. Not just at your screen, but actually open your eyes and look around the space that you're in. And then notice what's coming in through all your other senses. You can close your eyes now or gaze softly at the floor in front of you. Scan your body for any held tension that you weren't conscious of before. Going through your scalp, your forehead, your shoulders and jaw, your chest, your belly, upper back, lower back, palms of your hands, down to your feet. Make any adjustments in your posture to optimize your sense of ease and groundedness. Start taking a few deeper breaths. Fill up your belly first and then your waist, 
and then your chest. Suspending each breath very briefly. When you start to breathe out, do it as slowly as you can and empty completely. You might choose to add an affirmation to ground yourself in the present moment and anchor to your breath. You might try, I am breathing in, and then I am breathing out. Or if your breath is longer, can inhale, I am aware of my body, and then exhale, I have arrived in the present moment, inhaling, I am aware of my body, exhaling, I have arrived in the present moment. awareness on breath for a few more rounds and as thoughts arise and pass see if you can gain a little distance from your thoughts not trying to stuff them down or even ignore them in any way but watching them as if from a little distance like ships passing observing them rise and pass, but not having to jump on any of them. And you can return to your breath over and over. So I invite you to start using your imagination. Again, Imagine big, don't limit yourself or your dreams to any parameters. As you feel grounded, steady and clear, start to envision an ideal future for your child. This is your visualization. You're not going to need to share it with anyone. Don't only picture what you imagine your child wants. And don't be bound by any beliefs about their limitations. This is boundless. What does your child's ideal future look like to you? What does it feel like? You can begin writing, drawing, singing. <laughs> what does it feel like and how much detail can you fill in here?
then also pull back and get perspective. So as far as you're concerned, what is really important in a meaningful life? How will it evolve? How will your child handle their challenges and their relationships? Where are you in your child's future? What is your role? What does that relationship look like? Who else is there with them? As much as possible, just make this stream of consciousness no editing, no stopping, no pausing, just write it all out. Somehow record this ideal future just for yourself. You may be able to apply this vision to a mission statement or some sort of plan later, but that's not what we're doing right now. We're just dreaming. With the perspective, start to consider what values are most important to you. What do you believe is essential for a fulfilling life? Write that down. Anytime you want to return to simple breath pattern, to grounding, checking in with your body, notice if any tension has cropped up. You could sit in stillness knowing you can pause the podcast. You can take as long as you'd like for this. Try to do it in one sitting. You can do it again, but don't put it off till later. Do it now. The next time you do it, you might have a completely different vision. So capture what that longing is within you now. Trust that inner voice. Make sure you have uh, at least a good start on your vision before you continue to listen because I'm going to read my own list of the values and the essentials that I believe make up a fulfilling life. And I want you to have yours first. I'm in no position to prescribe what's right for you and your family. I can only share what I've come to in my own journey. So the first one I have is happiness, a level of contentment and emotional balance. That's how I define happiness right now. Second is love. 
self-compassion as well as deep connection and intimacy with others. And the ability to solve inevitable conflicts as they arise. When we're bonded with someone, when we really care about someone, then we're going to have stress in that relationship. It is inevitable. If we don't care, there's no conflict, there's no stress, because we don't really care. Um, Kindness is my next one. Including a strong sense of one's own values. And, of course, empathy. Then community. I long for my son to feel that he has a broader base of support to reach out to for help with the problems he can't solve on his own. So interdependence, not just independence, but interdependence. Also community just for celebration and someone to have fun with. Then independence, that he will be dependable and handle the day-to-day challenges of his life, living in a capitalist culture as we do, that he'll have security and shelter, food, a job, a savings plan, a somewhat organized home, and the ability to solve small daily problems on his own. And hopefully by then he'll have some self-regulation strategies that he can reach for when he's dysregulated. Next on my list is service. Making a valuable contribution to the community in whatever way he chooses. Then family. I know this sounds selfish, but I had a kid in order to be a grandmother one day, and I honestly continue to hope and pray that I'll see that day. And I get a little choked up when I think about that. (sighs) So the first time I wrote this list, as a yoga and meditation teacher, health wasn't even on, didn't even make the list. Um, Even though... I educate my son on exercise and the importance of sleep and hygiene and nutrition daily. Um, So don't worry about getting your list just right. Get those big ones down and um, you can always come back to it. So I know I need to model this life that I envision so that my son can see how it works. Since he's always needed to learn things explicitly, like be taught each step, he doesn't just pick things up by osmosis as many kids do. But once he learns it, he's really got it. 
So I'm not going to expect the wider culture or even just seeing us go through our day in a ethical way. I'm not going to expect that to get through to him. Not only does he need to see us practicing all these qualities, but we actually need to explain what we're doing from time to time, narrating to him. If I'm unhappy and perpetually an emotional wreck, not just every once in a while, how will I show my son how to come back to balance when his own emotions go haywire? So I'm not saying I should pretend to be happy all the time. I do have to find tools that help me come back to a just right place after experiencing my strong emotions. That's called emotional balance. It is not about being an automaton or constantly exuding love and light. We all have challenging feelings. And so I can find the ways that help me cope with them and repair when things go off balance. This might look like apologizing or taking some time to myself or forgiving. If I'm treating myself with disregard or even malice, right? sometimes I turn anger in on myself. But I don't see how he's going to learn self-love and self-compassion if I'm constantly putting my own needs aside. What would that teach him about my worth and the value, the worth of other people in his life? What am I teaching him about being an adult? Do I want him to put himself aside? Do I want him to grow up and be a martyr? Do I want him to expect his life partner to put all of their needs aside for him? Uh, when my husband and I fight, we bicker, we criticize each other in front of our son. If we make up in private, then we need to know he's watching and learning, even when it seems like he's not. Again, this isn't about being perfect. There is no such thing as perfect parents or a perfect co-parenting relationship. Our relationship is real. We care about each other and there's going to be tension. We do need to model strategies and learn some if we didn't learn them from our parents growing up. Um, showing our son how we come back together and listen to each other. How we can agree to disagree on certain subjects. And even how we can stand up for ourselves in a relationship. These are valuable tools. He's going to need them in order to maintain a loving long-term relationship. When our son was first diagnosed, the saddest thing for me was the fear that he might be isolated and never find love. 
that the person he is now, he's grown into, I can envision showing the attention, humor, and kindness that he bestows on his best friends to a life partner, maybe a roommate. Of course, there are no guarantees. And if he chooses to live alone, I really want him to love it. Myself, I wasn't able to be a good partner until I really learned to love exactly who I am. The ability to be content with your own company, be in silence with your thoughts, treat yourself with love and compassion. These are essential building blocks of an intimate, loving, and connected life. Values have been a big focus as my son grows. I see certain things as my responsibility when it comes to raising a child. I understand that children need to be given freedom to explore and come to their own conclusions. A roadmap helps you get back home when you've been out exploring. Our values are our roadmap. I keep it simple and repetitive. I use cliches, I have to admit, because I want them to stick in his head. <laughs> Kindness counts. Mistakes make us better. Patience pays. I write this stuff down, put it around the house. I talk about it repetitively. Even when I think he doesn't understand, even when I think he's not listening. And he surprises me with what he has internalized. When I'm not around, I'm told that he generally uses his roadmap. When he's with me, he pushes a little to see where the limits are. I have our family mission statement posted up on our fridge. I try my best to involve the whole family and refine it on a regular basis. We need to know what we stand for as a family. Most of the time we know our way and we don't need to refer to the map, but it helps us make decisions when we come to a crossroads. I've heard the word empathy thrown around when it comes to atypical traits and I can only speak of my own experience with my child and those I know. Exquisite sensitivity and raw empathy have caused my son to develop some really unexpected coping strategies. So when he was two, he used to ask me to pretend to cry over and over and over. Each time I did it, he would start to cry. I would stop and remind him that I was pretending. And eventually, he started to make himself smile and laugh as I pretended to cry. This was definitely not something that I encouraged. It led to some pretty unfortunate incidents with friends and myself when real tears occurred. He was inuring himself to the pain. So I really don't believe an empathy deficit is a problem for him. 
appropriate expression of empathy is a different matter. And that's where modeling comes in. I have to show him how it looks in this culture to express empathy and talk about how to behave in a way that will seem understanding to the person he feels empathy for. It isn't appropriate to try and cheer your friend up by laughing if they've just fallen off the swing and hurt their knee. The best thing is to ask if they're okay, and later, when they have an ice pack and have had a little time to cry, you can then try distracting them from the pain with a little silliness. Then just see how they react before you keep going. Humor is definitely a coping skill in our family. Laughter diffuses tension. But there's a difference between laughing at and laughing with someone. I feel like it's really important to explain the distinctions. And definitely, if I'm hearing discrimination masked as a joke, I'll call it out in front of my son and explain to him why that kind of joke is not funny and is, in fact, cruel. As far as community, I want my son to know that there are many people in this world with his diagnosis, and they may understand each other better in certain ways than even his parents understand him. He has friends that he's made in school and kept up since babyhood. Some are neurotypical, some atypical. He doesn't ask for playdates very often in his life, but he's usually so happy to see his friends that it makes us realize how important they are to him. So we still arrange the playdates, even though it can be challenging sometimes. The way I model community is by inviting my friends and neighbors over and going out from time to time. I also have a spiritual community, and we attend events together as a family. I feel it's so important to nurture community in whatever form works for your family. I felt really isolated when my son was young. And my past communities no longer felt relevant or accessible. I was blessed to have a few old friends who stuck with us through the hardest part. And some who were going through a parallel journey of sleeplessness, feeding issues, confusion about developmental milestones, etc. Through those friends, I came across Brooklyn Special Kids, which is an online parenting community that I still belong to, continues to be a lifeline for me. Independence, of course, is huge. There are some ways we are barely getting by as a typically developing two-parent, white, middle-class, cisgendered, educated household. Having order and simplicity are high values for me. And yet, it feels like our home is perpetually in chaos. I try to stick to a visual schedule because it helps my son. It takes a big effort to stick with the ritual of updating it every week. Um, when he was younger, I had an enormous picture schedule that would go through every activity. It was so long, it had to be changed every half day. Now I write on a weekly dry erase board. I do it every Sunday. It takes effort to declutter, too. 
takes a lot of effort to model the responsibilities of daily living. It takes much less effort to take out the recycling than to show him how and remind him to do it until it becomes automatic. So with each thing that we're teaching him, we have to break down the steps. I often make a list or a chart breaking down the steps of the process. Teaching him activities of daily living has been really rewarding for me. I envision the end result. And I trust that he can get there. I try to stay on course despite all of his avoidance and all of his silliness, even his explosions. I teach one little step at a time, explicitly. Stay with him patiently until it is done. We keep repeating until I can back off a little. And then a lot. The immediate reward is seeing the look of pride on his face when he accomplishes something new on his own. Long-term reward? Who knows? While I meet him where he's at in the moment with acceptance, I do refuse to limit him or his confidence in his abilities. The kid who couldn't walk at 18 months is now on a mainstream soccer team. I don't really care if he does things his own way. I just want him to know that he can do what he wants if he cares enough about it. I want him to be able to cover the basics of life, and I believe that starts right now. Maybe our house is messy, but it is warm and safe and welcoming. He knows that he contributes to the daily running of our home, and his contributions are essential. Self-respect and groundedness are the results. We're still working on problem-solving and self-regulation strategies. It's all a work in progress, just like the clutter. Service is part of most spiritual communities. Scientists have found a correlation between serving your community or family members and happiness and longevity. There are a few things that buffer us against the negative outcomes of stress, like taking on more. Doing something for others selflessly isn't about charity. It's about being human. When we recognize our common humanity and can show up for someone when they are down, it has valuable effects on our own well-being. Avoidance strategies don't reduce stress. Comforting others does. Here's a quote from Kelly McGonigal, who wrote The Upside of Stress. Where we place our attention when people we care about are suffering can change our own stress response. If we focus on comforting, helping, and caring for a loved one, we experience hope and connection. If instead we focus on relieving our own distress, we stay stuck in fear. We can create the biology of courage through small actions. 
My service is providing practical and emotional support to parents, volunteering at the school my son attends, and in my yoga and meditation classes. I do it joyfully with the expectation that others will be inspired to go into their communities and help others as well. I make sure my son sees what I do and we talk about it. And finally, as far as family, there's so many factors. It's a long way off and my longing is so great that I fear it will affect the way I support my son. This is where I have to let go and let God. Now, I invite you to read your own list. Which skills are most valuable to you? Which skills did your caregivers model when you were growing up? Which skills did you miss out on growing up? Where can you seek help? And go through each of the qualities that you wrote down and write about them. Each one of these qualities that you found were essential for a meaningful life. How are you already modeling this in your family? Where is your child catching on and noticing? Where can you grow in this area? What supports would help your family to teach this quality? Now you can decide what you want to do about any of this. Maybe you can see that your family is successfully modeling all of these qualities. Great. Now you can put it together see that you have a clearer picture, continue to celebrate and challenge in measured doses. And maybe there's one area you'd like to focus in on a little more. It gives you a sense of linearness to a life that feels very unlinear sometimes. And the dance of how much to challenge is constant for us. If I'm backing off, it doesn't mean I'm giving up. It's just a matter of timing. Of course, I meet him where he's at. I continue to model, talk about the process during the daily routines. I drop the judgment and I state my expectations clearly. My son's learned to brush his own hair. He has long hair, which is his choice. He still finds the new skill pretty challenging. 
the morning he's usually feeling pretty rushed, so he'll often ask me to brush his hair. Uh, if I came to it believing that if I brushed his hair, he would never be able to do it on his own, that would be stressful. On days when there's plenty of time, I insist that he brushes his hair. And I know that he eventually will internalize the new habit. Or maybe he'll get a haircut. And I feel like compassionate and gentle motivation is the way that I've found works to challenge my son to grow. I have so much faith in his ability to learn. All our kids can learn and grow. We just need to figure out how they learn best. And it's often really a matter of timing and maturity. So if you've stayed till the end of this podcast, I know you understand. When we imagined our parenting journey, none of us expected this. And yet we now have an incredible opportunity to become more patient, conscious, compassionate, and happy than we ever expected. We have the opportunity to transform. As we do, we can have an impact on the future of our children. Envisioning that future and actually taking tangible steps towards it can help us feel more hopeful and motivated on this parenting path. Remember to look up Mindfully Parenting Atypical Kids podcast and subscribe now. Thank you. You've been listening to Healthy Happy Yoga. I'm your host, Kate Lynch. Please share this podcast. Please subscribe to this podcast. Please connect with me on my website. I would love to hear from you. Be well.